It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, editor of the Investors Chronicle, back from last week's roadshows, and I'm here with Rob Budden from FT Money. Together we aim to bring you the financial lowdown in downloadable form every week. So Rob, what have we got in this week's programme? Well, with mortgage rates rising, is buy-to-let still a good investment? How green is your car insurance? We look at carbon neutral cover and how much it costs to be a guilt-free driver. And finally, don't let high commission rates eat into your pension. We give you the lowdown on income drawdown. And if you've got a subject that you'd like us to tackle, you can email your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. But first, this week's money news. So, Rob, uh, what is the hot topic for borrowers and homeowners right now? Well, it has to be the home information pack. We've had yet another surprising last-minute U-turn by the government. We were expecting home information packs to become compulsory for all house sales from June the 1st this year. With just days to go, they're now saying it's only going to be compulsory from August 1. But not just that, they're changing criteria. So from now on, from August 1, only properties with four bedrooms or more will have to have a home information pack. We don't even know when the other homes will fall into their information pack. So it's yet more confusion. This is turning into a bit of a nightmare. Only a few weeks ago on this very programme, you were inviting a surveyor to your house to, uh, to work out what your home information pack should say. Uh, it's been going on for ages, hasn't it? It's, well, it's been going on for about 10 years from the very initial idea. And a lot of those initial ideas and aims they had have been thrown by the wayside. And even last June, we had another major U-turn when they removed the home condition report, You know, a sort of form of survey as a compulsory element of the home information pack. So we've had quite a few changes now, and it really doesn't bear much resemblance to what was initially thought of. So I'm confused. What exactly is a home information pack now, or what will it be on the 1st of August? Well, on the 1st of August, it'll only apply if you have a house with four bedrooms or more. At that point, if you put up for sale, you will have to get a home information pack 
fully up and running within 28 days of having put it up for sale. It won't have to include a home condition report, but it will have to include an energy performance certificate. It'll have to have other information such as title deeds and land registry searches, that sort of thing. And then for other homes, it will become compulsory at some point, but we just don't know when. Rob, I've got a feeling we'll be doing a report on home information packs sometime in August. And remember, you can get all the latest money news at www.ft.com forward slash money. Still to come in the programme, driving a green car, by which I mean a carbon offset vehicle, not a lime-coloured Ford Capri, may salve your conscience, but how much does it cost? And how do you avoid the pension charges that can reduce your retirement income? First, though, buy-to-let property. When interest rates were low and property prices were riding high, buying a property to rent it out was a great investment. But after four consecutive rate rises, mortgage payments can now be higher than the rental income from these properties. So is it time to sell up and move on? Charlene Goff spoke to Tim Hyatt, Head of Letting at Knight Frank. So Tim, we've had four interest rate rises in less than a year. Typically buy-to-let investors are fairly sensitive to these kind of increases. So how is the market holding up generally? I think buy-to-let landlords are sensitive, but they're also very conscious of what's happening in the market. We've seen a pretty small impact to the interest rate rises. We've seen a small amount of our landlords deciding to sell, but that's only about 10% of our overall portfolio. The rest of them are staying in it for the long term. Are they really looking now for capital growth, for long-term capital appreciation, rather than the income stream they're getting from the property? I think out of their investment, they want to be able to maximise or get the best out of the yields they can, but the overall picture is to look at it as a long-term capital growth perspective. We've seen, obviously, the mortgage rates go up faster than the yields have been going up. How much harder is it for landlords to cover their mortgage costs with their rents? Well, I suppose it depends about when they set up their gearing. Most of our landlords have sensibly geared over the last two to three years and have brought in some fairly favourable buy-to-let mortgages. So now, even with the interest rises, it's not affecting them too much. It's more the new buy-to-let landlords that are coming into the market that might be slightly more affected by it. But they just need to take more advice in terms of the investment that they're looking at buying. What are you seeing happening with rents in the market at the moment? Because I know they've been flat for some time. Are they starting to pick up now? There's more demand for tenants? Absolutely. Even with that short shortfall of landlords that are deciding to sell, it has put a squeeze on the supply that's coming through to us. Net result being the corporate employment sector is very strong. We have a lot of people now looking to rent. We have a lot of in-between buyers who are not sure where the sales market is going. They're looking to rent. So demand is very much on the up. Supply is slightly down, so that's putting a squeeze on rents, and we are achieving much better rents than we were this time last year. Do you have any forecasts for this year for rental growth at all? Well, in terms of rental prices, I think they'll continue to grow. In terms of the rent terms, we're now negotiating rent terms of two years and above. If there are only rent increases after year one, we're getting up to 5 to 8% in terms of the rent increase. And I think that unless we can be furnished with better supply of stock, rents are going to continue to go up. And just finally, obviously, things are getting a little bit tighter for landlords. Are there any tips that you'd give them in terms of which properties to choose, how they can maximise their returns? Absolutely. I mean, the first main bit of advice is listen to your local agent. If you're a new investor landlord coming into the market, listen to what they're saying. They know where the demand is and they know the style that's applicable to that demand. The basics for a good lettings investment is close to local amenities, close to good public transport, close to getting you into the financial sector very easily by public transport, 
keep the style simple, keep it fresh, keep it up to hotel-like standards, and most importantly, keep the rooms well-proportioned. It's better to have a good-sized one-bedroom flat than a chopped-up two-bedroom flat. So if you had to go out and invest your own money now, Tim, where would you be putting it? Good question. Okay, well, I'm going to slightly contradict myself here. Our rental index for Knight Frank is saying that yields are coming in at 4.5% for houses and 4.1% for flats. I would say at the moment, good quality family houses are very important and we have a general shortfall of them. And if we had them, we would let them. However, consistently, whatever is happening to the lettings market, over the course of time, the most prudent investment is a one and two bedroom well-proportioned flat, without a doubt. That was Tim Hyatt, head of letting at Knight Frank. For more on Buy to Let, visit www.ft.com forward slash money. Coming up, we find out how to avoid the high charges that can reduce your pension fund. But before that, we look at the financial implications of going green. Politicians on all sides are demanding that we reduce our carbon footprints, and some insurance companies are now encouraging us to do this. But what does that mean, and how much does it cost? Ellen Kelleher of FT Money telephoned Peter Gerrard, who's head of research at moneysupermarket.com. So, Peter, how many providers offer these kinds of eco-friendly insurance programs? At the moment, there's less than half a dozen. So it's a very small market. It is at the moment, but as more people become aware of green issues and it certainly becomes, given the higher profile, I expect others will follow to suit. Can you explain how a few of them work? Yeah, how a majority of them work is will they will offset X amount of your car's emissions, and they'll either invest that in green green charities or reforestation. How do the premium rates compare against more traditional insurance schemes? This is where they come into question because the premiums that we've seen so far aren't particularly competitive. So what people would be worthwhile doing is if they're particularly passionate about supporting green causes would be to you know shop around look at these policies what they can offer you what premium they can quote you of course but also as well not just to be steered towards those just because they promote themselves as green also to look at the mainstream insurers who are out there if green causes are a particularly emotive issue to you then take the savings by taking the policy with a normal insurer and make a separate donation yourself to charity so you think these programs are a bit of a marketing scam? I wouldn't say a marketing scam as such, but they're offering excellent benefits for green causes, but not excellent benefits to the consumer. To what extent are people helping the environment by buying eco-friendly insurance? Because you know that it is going through to green causes, green charities. But also as well, on the flip side of that, if you make your own donation, you can choose how much, when and where that goes. That was Peter Gerrard of moneysupermarket.com and to find the best insurance deals go to www.ft.com forward slash money and finally today pension planning after numerous changes to the pensions legislation it's now possible to delay buying an annuity until you're 75 and instead keep your pension invested while drawing some cash to live on but it seems that some of the commissions charged for arranging this income drawdown are so high that your pension has to grow even faster just to stand still. One advice firm charges 2.7%, which could mean that your pension gets eaten away as you draw an income. Can this be justified? I asked Ian Hammond of Rowan Moore Pensions. 
The simple answer to your question is no, I don't. I can't really see why any charge for income drawdown should be geared to the size of the payment. We at Royal Pensions charge a flat fee of around about £150 a year to pay the pension through a PAYE system. It doesn't matter whether it's £1,000 a month or £10,000 a month. The work involved in making the payment is exactly the same. The only possible change would be in any disinvestment costs that might be incurred because obviously you have to have cash available within the bank account to make the pension payment. But if charges are higher than those that you impose, what effect does that have on the pension fund in terms of the rate of return that needs to be achieved just to keep the pension fund maintained? Well, clearly it increases it. If we look at USP, unsecured pension, an individual can take up to 120% of the amount calculated under the Government Actuary Department's annuity rates. If they're taking that already, they probably have to achieve a yield of around about 8 or 9% anyway. If you add another 2.5% or so onto that, you're into double figures. And whilst you may occasionally get that in a bull market, you cannot plan for that sort of return over a long period. Therefore, the individual member has to be aware of the risks that are being taken and the likely reduction in his pension as time goes by. So clearly it's the amount of drawdown you're taking as a percentage, it's also the charges, but what other factors do you think people should look at when they're selecting a a pension provider? Certainly the advice that they're going to be given and the involvement that they're going to receive from the people who are running their pension scheme. Yes, they may have an IFA, they may be taking advice from their accountant, but at the end of the day, the administration is being run by a third party and the more advice and assistance that that party can give to the individual or their other professional advisors, the better it will be for them. They'll get a much more complete and rounded figure. That was Ian Hammond, Managing Director of Rowan Moore Pensions. And to find out more about income drawdown and self-invested personal pensions, visit www.investorschronicle.co.uk forward slash masterclass. And that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, from the FT Money Show team, and from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.
Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, editor of the Investors Chronicle, back from last week's roadshows, and I'm here with Rob Budden from FT Money. Together we aim to bring you the financial lowdown in downloadable form every week. So Rob, what have we got in this week's programme? Well, with mortgage rates rising, is buy-to-let still a good investment? How green is your car insurance? We look at carbon neutral cover and how much it costs to be a guilt-free driver. And finally, don't let high commission rates eat into your pension. We give you the lowdown on income drawdown. And if you've got a subject that you'd like us to tackle, you can email your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. But first, this week's money news. So, Rob, uh, what is the hot topic for borrowers and homeowners right now? Well, it has to be the home information pack. We've had yet another surprising last-minute U-turn by the government. We were expecting home information packs to become compulsory for all house sales from June the 1st this year. With just days to go, they're now saying it's only going to be compulsory from August 1. But not just that, they're changing in criteria. So from now on, from August 1, only properties with four bedrooms or more will have to have a home information pack. We don't even know when the other homes will fall into their information pack. So it's yet more confusion. This is turning into a bit of a nightmare. I mean, only a few weeks ago on this very programme, you were inviting a surveyor to your house to, uh, to work out what your home information pack should say. Uh, it's been going on for ages, hasn't it? It's, well, it's been going on for about 10 years from the very initial idea. And a lot of those initial ideas and aims they had have been thrown by the wayside. And even last June, we had another major U-turn when they removed the home condition report, you know, a sort of form of survey as a compulsory element of the home information pack. So we've had quite a few changes now, and it really doesn't bear much resemblance to what was initially thought of. So I'm confused. What exactly is a home information pack now, or what will it be on the 1st of August? Well, on the 1st of August, it'll only apply if you have a house with four bedrooms or more. At that point, if you put up for sale, you will have to get a home information pack fully up and running within 28 days of having put it up for sale. It won't have to include a home condition report, but it will have to include an energy performance certificate. It'll have to have other information such as title deeds and land registry searches, that sort of thing. And then for other homes, it will become compulsory at some point, but we just don't know when. Rob, I've got a feeling we'll be doing a report on home information packs sometime in August. And remember, you can get all the latest money news at www.ft.com forward slash money. Still to come in the programme, driving a green car, by which I mean a carbon offset vehicle, not a lime-coloured Ford Capri, may solve your conscience, but how much does it cost? And how do you avoid the pension charges that can reduce your retirement income? First, though, buy-to-let property. When interest rates were low and property prices were riding high, buying a property to rent it out was a great investment. But after four consecutive rate rises, mortgage payments can now be higher than the rental income from these properties. So is it time to sell up and move on? Charlene Goff spoke to Tim Hyatt, Head of Letting at Knight Frank. So Tim, we've had four interest rate rises in less than a year. Typically buy-to-let investors are fairly sensitive to these kind of increases. So how is the market holding up generally? I think buy-to-let landlords are sensitive, but they're also very conscious of what's happening in the market. We've seen a pretty small impact to the interest rate rises. We've seen a small amount of our landlords deciding to sell, but that's only about 10% of our overall portfolio. The rest of them are staying in it for the long term. 
Are they really looking now for capital growth, for long-term capital appreciation, rather than the income stream they, they're getting from the property? I think out of their investment, they want to be able to maximise or get the best out of the yields they can, but the overall picture is to look at it as a long-term capital growth perspective. We've seen, obviously, the mortgage rates go up faster than the yields have been going up. How much harder is it for landlords to cover their mortgage costs with their rents? Well, I suppose it depends about when they set up their gearing. Most of our landlords have sensibly geared over the last two to three years and have brought in some fairly favourable buy-to-let mortgages. So now, even with the interest rises, it's not affecting them too much. It's more the new buy-to-let landlords that are coming into the market that might be slightly more affected by it. But they just need to take more advice in terms of the investment that they're looking at buying. What are you seeing happening with rents in the market at the moment? Because I know they've been flat for some time. Are they starting to pick up now? There's more demand for tenants? Absolutely. Even with that short shortfall of landlords that are deciding to sell, it has put a squeeze on the supply that's coming through to us. Net result being the corporate employment sector is very strong. We have a lot of people now looking to rent. We have a lot of in-between buyers who are not sure where the sales market is going. They're looking to rent. So demand is very much on the up. Supply is slightly down, so that's putting a squeeze on rents, and we are achieving much better rents than we were this time last year. Do you have any forecasts for this year for rental growth at all? Well, in terms of rental prices, I think they'll continue to grow. In terms of the rent terms, we're now negotiating rent terms of two years and above. If there are only rent increases after year one, we're getting up to 5 to 8% in terms of the rent increase. And I think that unless we can be furnished with better supply of stock, rents are going to continue to go up. And just finally, obviously, things are getting a little bit tighter for landlords. Are there any tips that you'd give them in terms of which properties to choose, how they can maximise their returns? Absolutely. I mean, the first main bit of advice is listen to your local agent. If you're a new investor landlord coming to the market, listen to what they're saying. They know where the demand is and they know the style that's applicable to that demand. The basics for a good lettings investment is close to local amenities, close to good public transport, close to getting you into the financial sector very easily by public transport. Keep the style simple, keep it fresh, keep it up to hotel-like standards, and most importantly, keep the rooms well-proportioned. It's better to have a good-sized one-bedroom flat than a chopped-up two-bedroom flat. So if you had to go out and invest your own money now, Tim, where would you be putting it? Good question. Okay, well, I'm going to slightly contradict myself here. Our rental index for Knight Frank is saying that yields are coming in at 4.5% for houses and 4.1% for flats. I would say at the moment, good quality family houses are very important and we have a general shortfall of them. And if we had them, we would let them. However, consistently, whatever is happening to the lettings market, over the course of time, the most prudent investment is a one and two bedroom well-proportioned flat, without a doubt. That was Tim Hyatt, head of letting at Knight Frank. For more on Buy to Let, visit www.ft.com forward slash money. Coming up, we find out how to avoid the high charges that can reduce your pension fund. But before that, we look at the financial implications of going green. Politicians on all sides are demanding that we reduce our carbon footprints, and some insurance companies are now encouraging us to do this. But what does that mean, and how much does it cost? Ellen Kelleher of FT Money telephoned Peter Gerrard, who's head of research at moneysupermarket.com. So, Peter, how many providers offer these kinds of eco-friendly insurance programs? At the moment, there's less than half a dozen. So it's a very small market. It is at the moment, 
But as more people become aware of green issues and it certainly becomes given the higher profile, I expect others will follow to suit. Can you explain how a few of them work? Yeah, how a majority of them work is will they will offset X amount of your car's emissions and they'll either invest that in green green charities or reforestation. How do the premium rates compare against more traditional insurance schemes? This is where they come into question because the premiums that we've seen so far aren't particularly competitive. So what people would be worthwhile doing is if they're particularly passionate about supporting green causes would be to you know shop around look at these policies what they can offer you what premium they can quote you of course but also as well not just to be steered towards those just because they promote themselves as green also to look at the mainstream insurers who are out there if green causes are a particularly emotive issue to you then take the savings by taking the policy with a normal insurer and make a separate donation yourself to charity So you think these programs are a bit of a marketing scam? I wouldn't say a marketing scam as such, but they're offering excellent benefits for green causes, but not excellent benefits to the consumer. To what extent are people helping the environment by buying eco-friendly insurance? Because you know that it was going through to green causes, green charities, but also as well on the flip side of that, if you make your own donation, you can choose how much, when and where that goes. That was Peter Gerrard of moneysupermarket.com and to find the best insurance deals go to www.ft.com forward slash money and finally today pension planning after numerous changes to the pensions legislation it's now possible to delay buying an annuity until you're 75 and instead keep your pension invested while drawing some cash to live on but it seems that some of the commissions charged for arranging this income drawdown are so high that your pension has to grow even faster just to stand still one advice firm charges 2.7% which could mean that your pension gets eaten away as you draw an income can this be justified? I asked Ian Hammond of Rowan Moore Pensions. The simple answer to your question is no, I don't. I can't really see why any charge for income drawdown should be geared to the size of the payment. We at Rowan Moore Pensions charge a flat fee of around about £150 a year to pay the pension through a PAYE system. It doesn't matter whether it's £1,000 a month or £10,000 a month, the work involved in making the payment is exactly the same. The only possible change would be in any disinvestment costs that might be incurred because obviously you have to have cash available within the bank account to make the pension payment. But if charges are higher than those that you impose, what effect does that have on the pension fund in terms of the rate of return that needs to be achieved just to keep the pension fund maintained? Well, clearly it increases it. If we look at USP, unsecured pension, An individual can take up to 120% of the amount calculated under the Government Actuary Department's annuity rates. If they're taking that already, they probably have to achieve a yield of around about 8 or 9% anyway. If you add another 2.5% or so onto that, you're into double figures. And whilst you may occasionally get that in a bull market, you cannot plan for that sort of return over a long period. Therefore, the individual member has to be aware of the risks that are being taken and the likely reduction in his pension as time goes by. So clearly it's the amount of drawdown you're taking as a percentage, it's also the charges, but what other factors do you think people should look at when they're selecting a a pension provider? 
certainly the advice that they're going to be given and the involvement that they're going to receive from the people who are running their pension scheme. Yes, they may have an IFA, they may be taking advice from their accountant, but at the end of the day, the administration is being run by a third party and the more advice and assistance that that party can give to the individual or their other professional advisors, the better will, it will be for them. They'll get a much more complete and rounded figure. That was Ian Hammond, Managing Director of Rowan Moore Pensions. And to find out more about income drawdown and self-invested personal pensions, visit www.investorschronicle.co.uk forward slash masterclass. And that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, from the FT Money Show team, and from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. <laughs>